Today on the Fahrenheit Podcast, we're going to unpack innovation with Gregory Constantine. He's an award-winning businessman, product developer, entrepreneur, and founder of The Air Company. Because really, what is innovation and why is it so important? The word innovation is just one of those words that gets thrown around a lot. There's this constant pressure for us to transform, think outside of the box, and to do things differently. There's a constant pressure to be the first and the best. And here at Fahrenheit, we want to talk about the real stuff, not just the gestural ideas of it. Innovation is one of those words that even I find myself saying without really understanding the implications of what it might mean. We want to go under the hood and dive into the ideas and topics, emotional territories, and language mechanics that are everyday lingo, but often missing that true depth and understanding. So today, we're going to try and understand it. And there was really no one better to have this conversation with than Greg. Over the past few years, the term carbon neutral had become synonymous with climate care. And for Greg Constantine, its emergence signified a challenge and really an opportunity to innovate, or dare I say, go further. In 2018, along with his co-founder, Dr. Stafford Sheehan, he started The Air Company, a groundbreaking brand committed to using technology to help decarbonize the planet, starting with the world's first carbon negative vodka. Yes, I said vodka. But vodka is really only the beginning. From fragrance to renewable fuels and even outer space, he's talking decarbonizing the planet one product at a time. And it's working. Since its inception, the company has been awarded Time Magazine's Invention of the Year, NASA's CO2 Challenge winner, Fast Company's world-changing idea for 2020 and beyond. So in this episode, we sit down with the king of innovation himself to talk about his approach to success, getting uncomfortable, and the inevitable question of what really is innovation. I'll dive right in because since we last connected, I've been thinking a lot about this question and I want to just throw it right at you. What is innovation? That's like a, that's a really, <laughs> really good question. So the way that we define innovation is, is really around not only just going out and creating something new because creating something new is great, but the way that we specifically define it is creating something new while solving a problem because that's the reason why we started what we do at our company it was really around helping solve a problem. And we really find that innovation is at its highest when you're, you're providing a solution to something as well. And I can talk about the solution that we're trying to solve for, which is climate change, but that's a long and <laughs> lengthy conversation <laughs> to, to have as well. Yeah. But for, for us, innovation is just going out and trying to create something that hasn't been done before. And hopefully it can help solve a problem as well. How do you think innovation has changed over the last five years? And part of my instinct for asking this question is that this word is quite overused. And I really sat down and thought to myself, like, what does this word innovation even really mean? And why do we think, you know, why, and you might disagree, over the last five or 10 years, do we think that the idea of innovation has really accelerated and grown? So much has been innovated on in the last five years that it is on an exponential rise and it's going to continue to grow. Within the next 10 years, 90% of the jobs that exist today won't be existing then. So that just shows you how vastly different the landscape is going to be. And for example, there's more computing power in your iPhone than there is in the entire MIT 
computing mainframe 15 years ago. So that just shows you in a period of 15 years, your little cell phone has more computing power. So what it means for innovation is that there's more people out there that are that are trying new things, that are discovering new things. And because the power of technology, we're becoming so acutely accustomed to learning and, and adapting so fast, so quickly, that it's it's paving this like amazing footprint and pathway for people to try new things as well. So from our point of view, from my point of view, it's really, really exciting. Obviously, you are the founder of The Air Company. You guys use technology and creativity as a way to help decarbonize the planet. You have a product, which is a vodka product we'll talk about in a bit. But really, at the end of the day, you are an innovation technology company. This question that came up for me around innovation and what is it, there was a part two to the question, which is, does it ever end? In your mind, is innovation the journey or is it an end game? That's a really interesting question. It's the journey because I don't think innovation should ever end. And the reason for that is, is once you've innovated and once you've completed or tried to complete that phase of innovation, right, you're going to get to a certain point and realize that something else new needs to happen as well, if that's if that's the mindset. So I hope that innovation has, a, has an end point in a sense that you reach the threshold of what you're trying to achieve. But what's going to happen then is it's going to open so many more doors of, of what other types of innovation can funnel into that and what else you can try to do and what else you can try to innovate on and, and create, basically. So it's an interesting kind of like chicken and egg question almost. So you're on this lifelong journey. And interestingly enough, what I was thinking about was it's a very tall order innovation because if you are dedicated to really what you said, which is solving a problem and then innovating the solutions towards that problem, then where does it end? Maybe talk a little bit about where it began for you and this desire and, if you will, this lifelong journey you're on to innovate. Innovation doesn't just have to stem from business, right? You can innovate in your life, right? Just doing something that is new to you in your life is innovating, right? You're going and trying something new, trying something different, and, and you might create something because of that just internally and within your own mind or within your body. And I'm a firm, firm believer that putting yourself in uncomfortable situations is when you're going to learn the most. And that is an innovation as well, because you're going and trying something new and trying to create something new for yourself as well. So it stems beyond beyond business for me. Uh, and it really kind of funnels into everything that I do, like period. Do you think that you take the same frameworks or like mentality to innovation in your personal life as you do in your business? Yeah, I mean, sadly, maybe, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Why sadly? No, let's unpack that. Why sadly? It, it's not sadly, right? It, it's for better and for worse, I guess, right? And for better because you're always on this journey of seeking new stuff and new things, which is seemingly endless. So it's tricky because. Sometimes you want to just, or you're told that you should just live and in the now, right? And just focus on the now and enjoy the now. And I'm seemingly one of these people that, that's, that's always focused on like what's ahead, trying to get towards that, trying to solve for that personally and with work as well. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a good and a bad. What are some good personal innovation hacks that you use or that you could share with the, the listeners out there? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the one that I always say that I mentioned before is just like doing something that feels semi-uncomfortable to you. And it's just like, the for me, the best innovation hack ever. It's like, you know, oh, 
you know, I don't really want to go listen to this speaker because I'm I'm tired and I don't know anyone there and I don't want to, like, I'm going to be in an uncomfortable situation. You never know. You might go there. You might hear something new. You might think of something on your way there. You might see something new. So just it can be as small and, like, granular as that. Or there's other things that, are, that I also, like, really focus on that aren't necessarily about innovation, but it's, it, it ties into it is this this notion of, not being afraid, it sounds somewhat cliched. It's like not being afraid to think differently to how you've been told that you're supposed to think. It's a really tough concept for, to, to try to really dig deeper into is because like everything that we're conditioned to know, everything that you and I have been conditioned to know is what we've been told, what we've seen and what's been our surroundings. But if you really try to sit down in a question like, okay, but why was I told that? And why am I being told to try to think this way? Or why does this industry work this way? It almost kind of gives you a, a not a breath of fresh air, but it, it broadens your scope and broadens the horizon. And same thing in work, right? If you're talking about like, how do you innovate on a day to day? It's like, okay, well, Let's not think about what the vodka category is doing. Let's think beyond what we're supposed to know with there. Let's think about the most broad understanding of all the things we like and all the things we don't like. And let's look outside of the category when we're talking about a specific product, for example. What's challenging about what you just said is it's often very subconscious. We might think that we're challenging our own behaviors of what we should. And I talk about the shoulds a lot, what we should be doing. But then there are moments where you don't even know you're doing it because it is so inherent to the way we are nurtured, really. And it is so common in the way that we think, in the way that we act, in the way that we speak. And I think that very much there are those moments where you recognize this might be outside of the norm, but a lot of how we approach every moment of every day, a lot of our behavior, it's just driven by what we are built to know and to understand. So innovation in some ways, there's the conscious choice of innovation or of innovating within ourselves, within our lives. But then there's how do you take that one step further? And I think you said something really thoughtful, which is it actually starts with asking the question, why? Why am I making this decision? Why am I investing resources here? Why am I focusing on this problem? For you, what was one of the whys that really led you to start innovating the way that you are at Air Company? That's a really great question. And the why for us and for me really stemmed around having an actual understanding about the world that we live in happened to it over the course of history and what we've done to it because coming from Australia you're surrounded by environment for sure but then you move to New York and you're just in that daily grind right and you're out having fun working traveling doing doing everything you do and I took a I took a job at a a big corporate company and, and and when I was there I started to become acutely aware about the environment and how detrimental some of these industries are to the environment some of the industries that we're all a part of as well and then you supplement that with meeting my my now business partner um, who's spent his entire professional career focusing on how to help the environment. I couple those two things together and we went on this journey of the why, which is really about trying to better the environment that we live in, trying to help the planet and trying to enable people to think that there is a possibility to be able to do so as well. And that really was the birth of what we're trying to do in the products that we create, the messages that we try to put out and everything we try to do as a business is really like enable possibility and enable it through technology as well. And that then leads into how do you innovate and why do you innovate and why is it important to you and why is it important to the world? It's interesting to think about innovation and 
this point you made earlier about how innovation has to start with solving a problem. I think back to this idea of like innovation being commoditized. And I feel pressure every day as a marketer to innovate. As a foil to what you do in the world of like science that I barely understand, I'm in the world of marketing. On one hand, I've been challenged quite often to take the same playbook that worked for brands that I've made successful or helped to make successful or had a very small part of being successful. Take the same playbook and apply it. But then at the same token, I'm also challenged to innovate constantly. And I think often it's like for innovation's sake. So it's really an interesting mechanic to shift the question of like, let's be innovative to what is the problem that we're going to solve? And let's remove the frameworks for how we think we should solve that problem. Let's get rid of the shoulds and just look at it through this lens of how do we rethink everything? And through that innovation actually becomes the result. It's tough. Like I'm not, I'm not saying that it's easy and it makes your day-to-day way tougher, right? It makes doing business much, much more difficult because you're almost limiting yourself a little bit more as to what the industry needs, right? But it allows you to really have meaningful, purposeful work and subconscious, like you said, and really think about the way that you do the things that you do, even in marketing as well, right? Like when the way when, when we market and when we try to market, we always try to solve a problem with the way that we create marketing and creative and advertising, right? We put out a campaign around, you know, the color of clean air and the fact that, you know, last year during at the height of the pandemic, the air's pollution was the cleanest it's ever been. Okay, cool. So let's message that out and let's find a creative way to message that out that's still in line with our entire brand ethos and the rest. But we're trying to solve a problem by showing the world that when the world takes a second, things can change as well. So that's the the challenge, especially for even what you guys do with marketing as well, is like, how do you rethink and reposition yourself to actually try to think beyond what we try to do versus just, you know, let's go out and create a campaign. Let's go create a cool brand. Let's go and manufacture a purpose to try to solve for some brand equity issues or whatever, whatever it might be. So they're the challenges. You talked a little bit about being uncomfortable. And I would say, you know, you are part spirits brand, part innovation, part air company. I'm sure you could word this better than me, but there's a lot of uncomfort in this idea of like redefining a category, bringing the first ever innovation to the market and to the world. Talk a little bit about how uncomfortability has played a role in that innovation. It's played a big role. What it's led to that uncomfortability has led to us understanding that you should be living your truth so that others can't use it against you. And you should do that personally and you should do it as a company as well. And what that means is like transparency is key, especially for innovation or a really tough innovation like us, because you're going to have problems along the way. You're going to have challenges along the way, like a hundred percent. And if you live those and are transparent about them, they're not going to come back as badly to bite you in the backside as what they normally would if you tried to not be as transparent about those as well. So that's been a really big learning for us and a focus for us because, yeah, like we're trying to make products that have been made in a way that have never been made before. We're trying to educate people about them at the same time, but we're also trying not to be pigeonholed to one product because our technology is applicable in multi-categories and across many verticals as well. So you're trying to solve all these messaging funnel challenges at the same time as, you know, run the business and scale the business and and do everything at the same time. So I think one big learning for us is just like, hey guys, like this is new. We're new and we're trying new and different innovative things. We're not going to get it right at the old time. 
as always, but if you want to come along on the journey, we're going to get there in the end and you're going to see it in the end as well. So just being transparent about that has really been a big eye opener for us. I feel like building a thoughtful brand at some point, it's just a process of elimination. Like how good are you guys at saying no? Because to one, live your truth or be your truth, which you just said is a fundamental aspect or critical part towards living in the uncomfort. You've got to have a lot of clarity and you've got to say no. So how good are you guys at saying no? And do you find that challenging in the early stage of growth? Yeah. In the early stage of growth, it's really, really tough. And I think that everyone can be better at saying no, for sure. I'm terrible at it. (laughs) The focus. Yeah. Yeah, Well, that's in order to stay focused, you have to say no. And you, you know, you might come across the, the best idea, the coolest idea, the most, you know, important meeting ever that you think that you need to be a part of, but to say no to it is more important because it's going to keep you focused on the journey that you need to stay focused on at that point in time. So we're getting much better at it, but we can always be better at it as well, for sure. And I think that, yeah, focus is, is really a byproduct of being able to say no to things as well. Yeah. And to have or to live up to this tall order of innovation yeah. and redefining both a category, educating a consumer in something that they've never done before, being the first to market on new technology and idea, you have to be able to stay clear. And what's interesting is like, I could imagine being at the air company, there are days you wake up and you're a spirits brand and there are days you wake up and you're a science brand and you're a technology brand. And instead of saying, hey, I should be competing in all of these categories, you guys are really just defining a new category for yourselves. Big time. And we all need to understand that, and especially within our, within our company is that we're not going to be able to go and do all the amazing things that we want to do if we don't focus on this one thing right now. But understand that the vision is there and the end target's there, but you have to be solely focused on achieving this one goal first in order to get there. And that's like a a, a big, big part of the business. And one thing I've learned over time is understanding that goal setting, like basic things, it's setting that goal, watching those goals all the time. Having that process is going to allow you to do so. And almost more importantly, definitely more importantly is having the support of the people around you that are on that pathway towards that and believe in that pathway and want to be able to do so as well. So yeah, I'm like the most non-traditional person who's like a real gut feeling kind of kind of guy. But what I've learned over time is that like process is, is unfortunately, unfortunately so, so, so crucial to, to focus and to say no and to be able to get towards those goals that you want to as well. Well, you guys are at like a, uncomfortable, if you will, inflection point right now, which is you're no longer that baby startup. I think you said the other day, like scraping the barrel, if you will, on trying to figure out like how to stay alive, which is like a journey every one of us as founders or entrepreneurs or business owners, like we've all been there. You guys are at a new phase. So maybe talk about where you guys are at in your growth and what lessons you've really taken that are applicable to this next part of the growth of the air company. We've certainly gone from the the days of being two gentlemen who were, you know, sleeping on each other's couch and not being able to pay our own rent and the rest to hopefully gotten a little bit further past that where, yeah, we're as a company and as a business, we're not we're not scraping the barrel every day to try to survive. We have that same mentality going into everything that we do, but the challenges are just different, right? It's it's how do we think about the future? How do we think about the next 12, 24, 36 months? And, and what's the right process that we need to put in place? And what's the right thinking that we need to go into it now in order to set that foundation down 
to be able to achieve all those goals down the line. Because, you know, when you're building a, a really early stage company that's focused on technology and products, which not many people do, all you're doing every day is just trying to do everything at once and put out fires left, right, and center to try to get it off the ground. And fortunately for us now, we've waded through a lot of that and it comes down to like persistence at the end of the day and waking up every day and knowing that, okay, I got to get up and do this again and keep going. And now we're on that, that other trench, which is just like, how do we grow and how do we grow rapidly as well? How do we grow quickly and how do we do it correctly? Because if we want to see this, you know, the longevity of this project, we got to do it right. Fahrenheit, we're obviously an early stage startup. And what's interesting is we work with founders and brands to build their brand. But by nature of that work, we are also building our business. And we're on a similar journey. We're two plus years in really thinking about how do we scale? What does growth look like? How do we take some of the things we hacked together in year one and put processes and strategies behind them and really figure out what that next phase is? And I think one of the things for me that I've been really thinking a lot about is like, when do you measure twice and cut once? And when do you run? When is it the right moment to just ship something and test it and throw things against the wall versus being methodical, strategic, putting resources behind it and getting it right the first time? Which way do you kind of tend towards going to? That's a great question. I would say that I'm a runner with enough inputs to be able to make the decision. Like I have to have context. And I say this every day at Fahrenheit, like one of my number one tools in life for everything, business and personal is context, context, context. You have to give people context so that they can operate from a place of knowing. If I have enough context, then I feel like I'm an instinct person. And that's always how I've led. But I would ask the question of like, when you're dealing with technology and science, is there room for instinct? There's room for instinct in how you operate and the decision-making process, but there's there's no room for instinct at all when it comes to the actual technology and process itself, right? Yeah, you're trying to you're trying to battle nature, and you know, a hundred percent of the time, nature's going to win. Like, going to win, right? Or ninety nine percent of the time, it's going to win. So when you can beat nature, you'll let us know. You know, yeah. <laughs> totally. Well, we're trying. We're trying. We're getting there. But honestly, that's the beauty of having a partner. I got a, I got like the best partner ever who who is that brain right it's like you know a career scientist where the total yin and yang where we're kind of polar opposites and when you bring them together it's like a match made in heaven and, and it's and it's working and it works really really well yeah it's it's amazing so which one are you do you run or do you move slow I'm a sprinter for sure yeah big time like I kind of said before I'm like a really big gut instinct person and I've learned over time that you always have to trust, you have to trust your gut, right? And if your gut has gotten you to where it has today, then you got to go with it. Now, I need context for sure. And now I have to back up all of the decisions with the correct information, the correct data and the rest. And I'll trust that process and do that process. But I'm not shy in saying, after I get the question, here's what the answer is going to be, but let's go through the process. And I guarantee you the answer is going to be this one. And I'm wrong a lot for sure. But sometimes I'm also right as well. And you got to try to understand that like, you can't always be right, but you got to always back yourself because, you know, that's what gets you to where, to where you are as well. So, and that's also why you surround yourself with like the best, most loyal, smartest people as well, because we're all trying to solve these problems ourselves together. There's just such an interesting point of like, as a founder or an entrepreneur of an early stage company, 
there are so many things that you will be doing for the very, very, very first time. And at a certain point, you cannot possibly become the expert on every topic. You have to become dangerous enough to make strategic decisions. And I think that's where context comes in. But for me, in a weird way, when I first started Fahrenheit, I actually think I was a little bit paralyzed in my decision making. I really wanted to have like the perfect strategy, the perfect inputs, the perfect data on everything. And in the end, it actually bit me in the ass, to be honest. Like there were things I moved too slow on that now I actually have the opposite fear. Now I have this fear of like, if I wait on this, if I am slow rolling this, I'm going to miss the window. I'm going to miss the moment of opportunity. Someone else is going to do it or I'm going to lose that candidate. I think it's a really interesting thing where now how I think about instinct is this. I've been working in brand and marketing for 15 years. My instinct has been refined. My instinct is coming from a place where there's 15 years of experience giving my gut the knowledge to make those choices And actually becoming an entrepreneur has been like a full exercise in like learning to trust my gut. Now, don't do it blindly. For anyone out there, I guess like what makes you trust your gut? I think it's again, having information to a certain point where you're not really holding back and really refining the muscle. It's like using your instinct, leveraging your instinct is a muscle. And I think I've learned to make it. But I love the idea that you and your co-founder are like the yin and the yang, the gut and the brain and really taking both into consideration. I mean, there are some decisions in any growing business where you can't move swift, like where you have to be more methodical. And I think the greater the investment, probably the greater the inputs that you should be having as it relates to making those choices. Yeah. Well, you made a really, really great point in there, which was when we first started the business, we we really took our time on everything. And I was I was meticulous and staff was meticulous. But that also was a was a hindrance of ours as well because we're trying for everything to be too perfect. And if you try to chase perfection, you're going to be chasing it your whole life and you'll never get to that end result. And so, yeah, I really think that what we've learned is sometimes you've got to give up a little bit of that perfection in order to, to progress and in order to get to that next phase. And staff, especially, who's my co-founder, has really come leaps and bounds in that way because as a scientist, you want everything to be perfect, right? And at the end of the day, it just it just can't be. Otherwise, you'll miss out on, on everything else. So that was a massive learning. Nowadays, for us, speed is everything, right? And, and just I thought that it was really interesting that you had brought that up as well because, you know, we sat down and had our big annual team meeting earlier this year and the number one goal for 2021 is speed, is we have to move with speed. And that's all we talk about now within the business and it's the only, it's the focus for everyone is just like, let's be as quality as possible. Let's have as much accuracy as possible but let's also move as quick as we can because we need to and we have to. And that's how we're going to be able to continue to succeed and continue to innovate. There's a threshold of however it applies to your organization of like what quality means, what values mean, what success or your KPIs mean. But then within that, this idea of agility, I think is critical. And in some ways you said before, chasing perfection, it's a losing proposition versus maybe this question of like, how are you chasing innovation and innovation that at the end of the day actually really means how are we chasing problem solving? And in order to chase problem solving, you're going to fail at many before you find the solution. You think failure is an inherent part of being an entrepreneur? A hundred and fifty million percent. I don't (laughs) even know. Whatever the, I'm trying to think of the biggest number possible for sure. However, I have this mechanism in my brain that doesn't view failure as failure. Like I just, I get asked all the time. And like, for me, it's, it's learning. And I don't just 
it's not just like I say that it's just learning. Like I really don't see anything as failure and it's just how my brain operates. Like, you know, I might tell someone that, you know, that light is going to turn green in three seconds and it takes 10 seconds. And then like, I just, it didn't happen. And it doesn't even matter. Like a call, it didn't happen. Let's keep, let's walk across the street anyway. I think people really need to get comfortable with the idea that, Hey, failure isn't failure. Everyone fails. Like everyone's falling over all the time. It's about how you take that failure and utilize it to keep moving and to get ahead of someone else, right? Like smart people learn from their prior mistakes, but wise people learn from mistakes of, of other people, right? So failure is is just something that's going to happen and you got to you got to be able to be comfortable with it and be around it. In the early days of my career, I was petrified of failure. And I definitely was mired in a lot of ego around what other people thought of my work and my performance. Now I fall flat on my ass every day. There is nothing more humbling than being a founder or a leader or an entrepreneur. And I actually think that learning to love failure is like such a hack. Probably one of the best hacks that I could share is like learning to love it and actually laugh at it. Right now at Fahrenheit, we're in a funny moment. We have like hell on wheels going on in a bunch of different areas and they're all good problems, right? Like our business is growing at a rapid pace. Every day I wake up and I'm like, be grateful, like so much gratitude for the hell on wheels that is this current business. But without the humility, and this humility has only come in the last few years. And I talk a lot on the Fahrenheit podcast about my journey as an entrepreneur and a leader, but without the humility, I actually don't think I could lead because I don't think I would be leading from the right place. And a huge piece of being able to lead from this real place is being able to fail and learning to appreciate failing. Although even the word failure, like what does that even mean? What is failure? And also like 10 years ago, I think your answer would have been vastly different, right? It just shows like how much learning over time you get, how less maybe insecure people become within themselves which allows them to not be afraid of like living their truth because it just like it it happens right and that comes with you know experience and maybe age as well and being a little bit more secure with yourself and your environment that you might not have as a you know 17 or 20 year old you know running around how did you guys get the confidence where do you think the confidence to go out and break the molds that you're breaking came from we're probably just silly for trying to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, I think it's just inherent. Being different is a good thing. Like, that's just how I've always been my whole life. And, um, you know, I always preach it to everyone. Like, don't be afraid to try something different. Don't be afraid to do something radically different. And we tell it to the team all the time. It's like, if you have an idea that's just so ridiculously out of the box like I want it like I want to hear it like I want to hear it and how we've kind of tackled that is just we love solving problems and the harder the better right so if someone said cool when we first started the business we would go around trying to fundraise or trying to you know tell people about what we're trying to do and they would look at us and just say look no one's ever done this companies with hundreds of millions billions of dollars have tried to do this and failed like what makes you think that two under 30 year old guys are going to be able to do it? And we just had that kind of mindset and foolishness maybe that we, we actually really believe that we can, and we are the ones to be able to do it. And hopefully now we're showing people that like it can be done. And a massive hope for us is that other companies or other entrepreneurs or other people see it and then go out and try to do something as well, because that is innovation, is actually going out and trying it and it happening 
and it come into life. And it's like a, it's a super beautiful thing. What I love so much about these conversations is when I was in the earlier days of my career, and I've always been ambitious and driven, I really thought the components of a great entrepreneur or a really successful founder was a Harvard education, which I know you have. So like, no pun intended, but like a Harvard education and access and an MBA and a PhD and all of these things. But really, I think what I've learned and what continues to come up in these conversations is it's so much more about passion, confidence, dedication. You said before, perseverance, foolishness, maybe a bit, the ability to fail, the ability to just put your heart and your soul into it. Because to your point, there are millions of people out there who are equipped and educated enough to do what you guys are doing. But the combination of all things made you guys the ones to go out and do it. I read this really interesting quote or something I saw the other day that was like, everyone has a billion dollar idea, but it's who goes out and executes it that matters. Right. Big time. Like, you know, I moved to the US with no job. I didn't have any money. I was living below ground in the Lower East Side in New York with no windows. Like it's not all red roses. And then towards the end of my when my time was up, I managed to be able to get a job and then and and kind of like go from there. What was your first job? I got recruited into a job working at working at Diageo, which was like this this alcohol company. But I'd I'd left, you know, I graduated from university in Australia first and my undergrad. And had the opportunity to get a visa to you know to the US, where like a, you know like a one year post graduation visa, where you get to come and travel and and see what it's about. So I took that up, and I had like a month left on this visa, and I was like, I got to go home if I don't find a job or someone's got to like I got to get a job. So by sheer stroke of luck, probably I managed to get one at that you know at that end period, and then just worked and worked and worked and worked and hopefully worked hard enough and smart enough as well to be able to put yourself in all these various positions by again putting myself in uncomfortable situations right and it's not always red roses but the point is that that persistence got me and a lot of people to where they are today as well and it's a big part of being about being an entrepreneur and having that mindset i always say that you can't really enjoy or understand one side of the coin without the other those moments of growth and learning and being challenged in your career are part of what make you appreciate where you are today. And I think that without them, like our stories are just not whole. And I would also argue back to this idea of like, what does failure even mean? Everyone at every level, at every level of experience has failed in however they define it, because I do think it's very subjective. And it's in the moments of failure, I think that we learn the most about who we are. And I say this all the time to my team, like, when you are accountable to something, you are accountable to the failure of it and to the win of it. And how do you know that you've won unless previously you've failed? Because all of those inherent ideas, they're just foils of one another. What's next for the air company on this ongoing, never-ending, lifelong journey of innovation? I mean, we're just trying to make things that haven't been done before that solve an overarching problem of helping the planet and we love going into existing infrastructures that we think have problems or that don't exist yet. So that's like a really broad answer. But, you know, for example, you know, one of the innovations that our technology has the ability to do is to create things that can be used in outer space. And never did I and neither did my business partner ever think that we would be working with NASA on things. But it's a reality today. And it's because we said, okay, 
this technology is applicable to a variety of things, right? What's the hardest one here that no one's going to expect us to try to tackle and that no one thinks that we even have a shot of doing? Aerospace. Cool. Let's do it. Like, let's go out and do it. What was that moment like? Where were you? <laughs> like, I was actually in Boston at like a, at our one of our partners' huge facility, and the innovation had, had kind of happened. And we were sitting around with all these like incredible, smart, you know, chemists, scientists, technologists, and the rest, and working through the applications. And I just said, like, guys, like, the, we shouldn't be focusing on any of this stuff. This is the one we need to try to tackle because this is the one that's going to really push the needle. This is the one that's actually going to try to push boundaries. And this is true effing innovation. And we have to, like, we have to do it. Gosh, you know, it's funny coming into this call today, I, I really was pondering, for lack of a better word, this question of like, what does innovation mean? And I think for me, innovation has always meant movement in a weird way. Innovation to me is constant changing, constant evolution. And it's funny how now when I think about this, for me, it's so connected to speed. In some ways, innovation actually feels like a forward motion. But taking a moment to pause and actually ask the question of why and what problem am I solving is such a nice shift. For someone out there who's listening to this podcast, who is trying to innovate in their life or in their product, any last words of wisdom that you would want to share so that they could, you know, take something home with them from this chat today? It's one that I touched on, but it's just, it's be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And it's just, if you can really understand that everyone else in the world is feeling what you're feeling all the time, go into it knowing that and that like whatever you try, it doesn't matter if you fail. What matters is that you try because I guarantee you that the learning that you get from trying, even though that you might not notice it in that instance, is going to come back at some point in your life and you'll, and, and you'll be able to utilize it as well. And it's just so underappreciated and it's a massive, massive thing that people should really be, be cool with. Yeah. Because like, it's fucking cool. It is cool. Also, you know what's funny? No one really cares. No one cares. Like, it's just the truth. When I first left Sweetgreen, and I talked about this on the podcast all the time, but when I first left Sweetgreen, I like, I'm going to go be a founder of a billion dollar company because that's what I thought I should do. That was what I thought my trajectory was. And so I raised a bunch of money to go work on an idea that if I look back on it, I was more focused on the long-term outcome than I was on solving a real problem. And I ended up nine months in realizing it was not right for me. It was not the right team. It was not the right company. And I quit. And I felt like a massive failure. And I went away from New York for three months and I came back and I was like, oh, my reputation, what people think of me. Let me tell you what people thought. No one cared. At the end of the day, it is your journey. And the truth is not to sound cliche, but you are the star of your own life. And everyone else is just focused on their own life too. How those intersect, of course, I'm not saying connection and community and how we can work together is not critical and important, but like so much of those things we build up in our minds are in fact just manufactured because we think that that's how it is and it's not. Yeah, perception is, is such a big thing that, that we all think about way too much. And I, me too, right? Like when we first started the company, like I was so concerned with what everyone thought and what to make sure that you know everyone didn't think that it was a failure like what you're talking about right and when you have your first loss or your first L then you realize that like no one cared no one saw it happen and the people that you cared about are still around supporting you anyway 
It's actually a beautiful thing to recognize. It takes a lot of weight off of your shoulders when you finally get to a point where you're like, it's cool, you know? You said something before that reminds me a lot of one of our values at Fahrenheit, which is play to win. And play to win really means like, and I know nothing about sports, and yet every value at Fahrenheit is a sports metaphor. <laughs> so, <laughs> but play to win to me is this idea of like, if you're a part of a team, your job is to show up every day and play to win. And if everybody on the team plays to win the game and we don't win, we still won. If we all show up and I'm like, I rocked my role as quarterback. That's the only role of any team I know how to talk about. If I rocked my role and this person rocked their role and that person rocked their role and we showed up with all of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our passion, radical dedication to whatever is on the horizon, then who cares if we win or if we lose? But, you know, showing up and not playing to win, you lose no matter what. What are the major focuses, ethos focuses that you kind of go into Fahrenheit with that you try to spread throughout the team and to your clients and partners and the rest? Are there like several pillars that you love to get people to focus on and draw into? And No, I, I actually think one of the things I cultivated over many, many years of my career and definitely super inspired by my time at Sweetgreen was just the actual importance of brand values or business values, whatever values you want. But like, you can hire for skill, you can hire for technical abilities, but hiring for values for me wins every single time because it is about finding a group of people who have the same goals and ambitions, not just in business, but in being human. And for me, I have some non-negotiable values at Fahrenheit. One of them is play to win, because I think that when you play to win, you're accountable to your team. You're not accountable to the outcome, but you're accountable to showing up for each other, which goes into another value of ours, which is being human. I think we grew up in a world and an environment where people said separate work and life. And I think that that is foolish. How I am feeling about what's going on in my personal life is going to show up in the office. It is going to show up in my behavior today. And I think that when I stopped trying to pretend and started fully just living and being myself, being comfortable enough to live my truth is when a lot of my leadership completely unlocked. And I feel like I can show up for my team as a human, and they can show up for me in a way that creates so much more productivity, accountability, and success. I would say the last value that I really think is critical is what I call raising a hand. Raising a hand is like my way of saying, if you see something, say something. And it sort of goes back to innovation. If you have an idea, say it. If you're feeling icky about something, say it. If you think someone is messing up, say it. If you think that there's something can be done better, say it. Because if you don't say it, you're actually doing a disservice. And I think that in competitive, fast-paced, high-growth environments, a lot of people get scared of what raising a hand might mean. People should be more afraid of, <laughs> of the other side. For sure. And so when you create an environment and a culture, and I think you've said it, like you guys have it with innovation, which is like, no question is too silly. There's no competition internally. This is not about pointing blame or pointing fingers. There's no idea like that's too nuts, good or bad. You create an environment, I think, inherently of innovation because it's about working together to win the game. And winning the game is not succeeding. Winning the game is the journey, for sure. I'll give you a really sure. good example, which is we actually, at Fahrenheit, we don't pitch. We are predominantly word of mouth. We work with founders that we really get to know on a personal level. And most of the time they're coming to us and we're having conversations and that's how we decide to work together. But we had an opportunity a few months ago to pitch for a major celebrity and it was a 24 hour sprint. And we put the whole team on a team call, everyone, including interns, 
creatives, graphic designers, brand strategists, VPs of operations, like everyone in the company got on the call. And we spent two days working together, making this happen. And in the end, we didn't get awarded the, the job. We got the whole team on a call. I walked the whole company through what the final pitch was. Everyone's cheering. Like, this is amazing. We crushed it. And I'm like, okay, well, guess what? We didn't get it. But we, sorry, I'm going to curse, but we fucking nailed it. And like, we should be so proud. We played to win the game. And like, that is what innovation, I think, in a lot of ways is also about. Absolutely. It's just going out and trying. Doing it. Knowing that you (laughs) gave it everything for sure. Well, I'm sure you're going to get the next big celebrity (laughs) and the next big gig and the next big job because that persistence I can see runs through your veins and I'm sure is going to be infectious to your entire team as well. Right back at you. We're exhausting. (laughs) 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 So much to deal with. So much to do. Well, on that note, I'll let you get back to it. Greg, this was awesome. I'm like really genuinely excited to see what you guys accomplish and the impact that you make. It's just been such a refreshing hour. Thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. We will be watching in the wings. Yeah. Appreciate it. 